HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This is Gastronomica, a Heritage Radio Network podcast. I'm your host for today, Daniel Bender. This episode is produced in collaboration with Gastronomica, the journal for food studies. Our spring issue 2023, which is volume 23, issue one, is out now, featuring articles on temporalities, borderlands, and a special section on authenticities. Today's podcast is a look ahead, an advanced taste of our summer issue. We're joined today by Tiago Brage, a PhD candidate anthropology at the University of California, Davis, and he received his MA in Chinese studies from Peking University in 2017. He joins us today from Taoyuan, Taiwan, and I'm in Toronto, Canada. Tiago, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me. Your fascinating fieldwork and article focuses on tea culture and tea art in contemporary China and what they say about contemporary Chinese society, ethics, and a great deal more. We're going to get to the tea art in a moment, but what exactly for you is tea culture? Uh, I think that boiling it down to to its most basics or speaking from an anthropological perspective i like to think uh tea, of tea culture primarily as um what happens when humans interact with tea uh be it as a plant or as a beverage or in any other platform uh, I think that when we speak of tea cultures, we're really speaking of the forms and pathways of access to reality that happen through the human interaction with tea. And that's a, that's a great deal more than drinking tea. Let, let, let me put a pin in that. And I want to f- turn to, to you personally, how you came to focus on tea culture, how you made that realization that tea culture is about more than just lifting the cup, putting in the liquid in your mouth and swallowing. 
Uh, it was a very slow realization, actually. Uh, and the whole way in which I fell into this research happened very contingently. Uh, I was already pretty interested in human-plant relations. Uh, and at first, I had a, pro a research project that I wanted to do in China on the growing CBD industry that happened that was that was kind of exploding there, started exploding in 2015 or so, and now is flying. Uh, and due to a number of, of issues, I ended up kind of thinking about ways in which I could shift my research. And uh, one day I was at this uh, academic conference and for the lunch, uh, I just happened to sit next to someone who just said, have you ever thought about tea? Uh, and then I started kind of thinking and, and realizing that, huh, there are some similarities here uh, in terms of it being a plant, in terms of it creating an entire industry, in terms of it motivating an entire political economy. And so in the summer of 2018, I went to Kunming, China. Um, and by serendip serendipity, I ended up renting a room from a self-styled tea master. And so I kind of dove head first into that world. And when I got there, I slowly started to realize, hey, wait a moment. Uh, there are a lot of people that are putting a ton of value into this thing. And not only that, but they are claiming pretty interesting things that in ways in which tea is changing their lives. And they're going to great lengths to sort of savor what they would consider to be really good cups of tea. Uh, and I, I was just I just started seeing an entire community uh, that kind of existed uh, in southern China. And so it all really started from there. Well, I was just going to tell our listeners that I, I can see behind you. They can't see it. It's a podcast. I can see behind you a giant wall of, of tea packages. Um, did you find yourself getting involved in, in that community itself rather than just simply studying it? Did it become a, a participant observation? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I didn't have – I mean, I used to drink tea just like any other person in, in, in Brazil where I'm from. Uh, we drink a lot of mate tea there, uh, especially in the south of Brazil, where I'm from. Um, but it's a very different type of tea. And so once I got to China and I started experimenting with what they call the Kung Fu form of, of brewing tea, which is a very labor intensive kind of uh, brewing style, I just kind of fell in love with it. And I also fell in love with how tea makes you feel. And with the sensory, the multiple sensory kind of experiences that you can have with tea. And so, yeah, I ended up kind of developing my own taste. And now I could go on at length about my favorites and the teas that I don't really like and what kinds of events I've gone to just because someone said, oh, we're going to be tasting 1960s Pao Zhong tea, so you should come. <laughs> and then I definitely went just for that reason. So, yeah, it, it definitely became... Uh, as you said, a, a very participant type of observation. I'm fascinated by this line where, where academia and writing, and in your case, dissertation research, meets you know our own Epicureanism. And I mean, it raises a larger question. And before we turn to the question of tea art, of, of how tea is consumed in general in, in modern China. I think that 
there, there's, there are multiple different ways in which uh, tea can be consumed. Uh, and tea is consumed in modern China from, from what I've seen uh, in, in my field work. I think that the, the, the forms in which, that I'm more concerned with for my research are definitely what you could call ritualistic to some extent, although they're definitely not as involved and as time-consuming as the Japanese way of tea would have it. Um, but they are definitely, they require a certain level of attention to the brewing of tea that is quite involved, although it's definitely not the only way that people are having tea in China. Um, not to speak of ways in which tea is involved in drinking, but is not necessarily what someone would call tea culture. And I'm, of course, speaking of boba tea, which now is famous all over the world. Um, but there, there's also what some call uh, the, the old person, old people type of drinking tea, lao ren cha, um, which is really kind of a more, you just take the cup, right? And then you just put in the leaves and then you just keep adding hot water the whole day. And then you just kind of drink that. And that's a very simple uh, way of drinking tea. Uh, so there's definitely a big spectrum where you can go from as simple as just infusing leaves in a, in a water bottle all the way up to having really complicated uh, kind of rituals or ceremonies where people pay very close attention to the stylishness of their movements or to even making kind of utilizing the cer a certain vocabulary in terms of describing the taste of tea. So there is really a huge spectrum. And, and this is what fascinates me in the research is the creation of, of these, these entire communities of practice and the creation of a whole discourse that exists around it. And within that tea culture, there is tea art. Can you give us a your definition of what tea art is. Sure. So uh, actually this is a great question because there is some controversy around how we could define tea art. So what I'm trying to do with my paper is make a humble contribution towards achieving a kind of theoretical framework that the social sciences and the humanities can utilize to kind of understand uh, tea art. Uh, because the point is that if we are to say tea art in Chinese, we could use a whole slew of terms. But I've noticed that there are two which are used more frequently. And they're both composed by the, the word for tea, followed by another word. So give us an example. So the two, the two that, I, that I approach in the paper, which are the more common ones, are both cha yi and cha dao. And so if we look at the words that follow ti in each one of those definitions, one is cha yi, and yi could more literally be translated as both art and technique, or as technique, perhaps. Uh, and dao is the same tao as in Taoism. Uh, so it is a, is a, it's a concept that has a huge background in Chinese intellectual thought. And so I'm kind of starting with these two elements 
And I'm thinking of both Yi and Tao as kind of formative logics that are not reducible to each other, but that coexist in the creation of tea art. So if I was to offer kind of a simple definition of what I think tea art is, it is an aesthetic mode of engagement with tea that is in itself also placed in a larger dialogue with modes of thinking that come from tra traditional or classical uh, Chinese intellectual thinking. Some, something of the aesthetics, the sensory, but also something that, that is of the mind. Correct. Right? Like this is not just a nice drink that you consume in a vague ritualized way. This is something of the mind too, right? Yes. Uh, it is something not just of the mind, but something that is of the subject. Something that we could say is subject forming. What do you mean subject forming? That's, that's tantalizing. Uh, <laughs> I mean that in, the, in this process, the engagement with tea itself becomes a kind of platform for people to sort of start asking themselves questions uh, and start kind of finding, finding pathways for them to really establish things like, what is a good life for me in this contemporary moment? Uh, what, how should I relate to other people? How does this thing help me uh, become a better single mother? How does this thing enables me to sort of engage with the fact that I have lost someone in my family, uh, which are all things that I've encountered in fieldwork. Uh, so it, it, it is something of, it, it is something that generates a kind of dialogue between a human and a non-human. And this is also something that's very, very curated, carefully, carefully curated by, by team masters. So let, let's make this, Really empirical here. Um, you've been to many, many places, events where where tea art is, if if I can put it this way, happening. Can you take us through one of those events? What does it look like? What what's the art on the wall? What's the space that it's happening? What's the the emotions before the emotions after? Who's attending? So. This is this is great because I've just attended one of those yesterday. Uh, Tell us about that one. And so, so that one is interesting because now, although the paper is focused in China, my my overall research also looks at Taiwan, because tea art itself was invented in Taiwan, um, and now it is very popular in China. And so, of course, that it also operates as this kind of platform for Taiwanese and Chinese urbanites to sort of negotiate the affinities and differences that exist between both places. And so yesterday's event was at an art gallery. And when, when they're not held in so-called tea studios, which some very uh, successful and prominent tea masters kind of uh, have these spaces where they they hold book talks and they hold all kinds of, of different events. But yesterday was in a, at an art space, a contemporary one at that. Um, and we were tasting um, tea from the 1960s, actually. We were tasting two different varieties. One was uh, a green tea called Pao Zhong, and another one was, is a very famous Wulong tea called Tia Guanyin. 
do you think I'm going to interrupt you for a moment? Do you think that that participants were drawn by the the rarity of the tea, or or by the whole universe of what was happening there? Oh, definitely both. Uh, there was a fascination with the tea itself, but there was also a, a huge element of a kind of cultural cultural assertion that was happening in that moment because there were some uh, tea masters that were brought to speak uh, for this event. And they began by speaking about the fact that the only reason why they were, we were there tasting that tea was because Taiwan, the Republic of China, left the United Nations in, the, in 1970 uh, because that tea was already pre-purchased by a buyer from Thailand in the late 60s. And with the Republic of China leaving the United Nations, it became much more difficult to, to export the tea. So they sort of just maintained the tea there and, and just stayed in Taiwan for 60 years. And so opening that tea and, and sort of experimenting it with it, it was also, it was not just for people who were interested in tea, that's that much is true. But it was also a moment where a kind of Taiwaneseness was being shared uh, by all of those who were in attendance. So I thought that was very interesting. And and these events are are, are curated by a by a tea master. H- how do they become a tea master? Is there a certification process? Is it self declared? Who are they? So. That's also a contentious question uh, and, and a very interesting one because it depends on if we're looking on, in China or in Taiwan. Because in China, the, the profession of tea master has been more regularized. Uh, and there are multiple institutions, both in China and in Taiwan, that issue uh, tea sommelier or tea artist certifications. And so I would say that's the first step towards becoming a tea master. And those are definitely, that's definitely a self-styled category. And so uh, tea masters sort of fight it out amongst themselves, each with their own kind of rituals and understandings of tea. And they really kind of achieve prominence through their own efforts and through sort of pub- publishing their own books or having their own courses and through word of mouth and so on. So uh, tea masters are really kind of a self-styled category of people that propose to have a unique connection and a unique understanding of tea. And then they want to share that, uh, be it through their publications or through their courses and so on. And so this creates a very very lively and at times really kind of contentions and full of debate kind of field where TR, tea masters are kind of like Kung Fu masters kind of fighting it out with, with their own styles. So it, it is a very unregulated kind of space. So a participant would stick maybe with a particular tea master, somebody who's leading them on this, this journey, curating this relationship with, with the plant itself rather than just jumping around for the tea, they're, they're almost there for the master itself or themselves. Yes, the master sort of has an approach that carries them 
through um, through um, through a, through their own approach, really. Uh, so I've encountered team masters that were very that would rely a lot on the, on T science to make their arguments, and so their classes would mostly be about things like T polyphenols and you know the different kind of um, antioxidants that would exist inside of different kinds of water and so on and so forth. And I've also encountered tea masters that relied more on the religious kind of approach um, that really speak of Buddhism, that really speak of Taoism, particularly in Taiwan, where Taoism is not just a philosophy, but really a kind of religion as well. Um, so people will kind of hop around until they find a tea master that kind of suits their interests and they will go on from there. So in the, in this field, there are tea masters will be sort of competing uh, to, to see who has a better approach. We're going to take a short break and then return to our conversation with Tiago Braga. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we're back. This is Gastronomica on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Daniel Bender in conversation with Tiago Brage about Chinese tea art. Before the break, Tiago, you were describing this, this fascinating world of, of the tea art and it's this remarkable constellation of philosophy, of science, of religion, meditation, therapy, perhaps. Is this entirely new? You say it has its origins in Taiwan, but is this a return to an older tea ceremony? Or is this maybe really a new contemporary phenomenon? I would argue for it being a contemporary phenomenon. Um, it's definitely something that uh, was purposefully curated by a group of intellectuals in Taiwan in the late 70s um, and the early 80s. And some of them operated with tea companies, some didn't. Um, and in this process, uh, they did tap into a very long history that China has with tea. That much is undeniable. The 
the very first manuscript that was written about tea in the world uh, was written in the Tang Dynasty by the now known, now known as Sage of Tea, someone called Lu Yu, who wrote a book that became the classic of tea. And, the, and from that process, from that moment onwards, tea has continuously accrued social cultural significance in dynastic China. It has been one of the primary motors for the opium war. Um, it has played a very important role in Chinese history and, and intellectual thought. Uh, however, the creation of tea art as we know it today as such, uh, it is not a, a return to this moment so much as it is a new stage in this in this moment in in both china and taiwan yes uh so i for example uh and 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 this also because we're speaking of taiwan we also must speak of japan in this story right because taiwan the taiwan was colonized by japan and there is a very noticeable cultural influence that, that Japan has, uh, has had on, in Taiwan. And so uh, the, although I would also uh, refrain from, from calling tea art a less legitimate kind of copy from, from the Japanese tea ceremony, uh, I would say that the colonization of Japan uh, and the geopolitical tensions between Taiwan and China have opened a kind of interface or specific moment for the curation of tea art. So that's why in my paper I argue for it being a contemporary phenomenon. And I want to read you something that read you back, something that you wrote and ask you to comment. You write that... Tea art is, quote, a constellation of practices, embodied knowledges, and popular discourses that not only render the human-tea relation in aesthetic terms, elevating it into an art form, but also locate its significance in the conceptual horizon of Chinese philosophical thought, reshaping its concepts for contemporary urban life. That's a tremendous burden for something that is the act of drinking tea. What is that human tea relation? Uh, so to, to speak about the entire definition that you just offered, right? Uh, and, and this would be my definition of, of tea art. It, it has to be a very broad one. We cannot equate it to one form only or to one ritual or to one shape, right? Um, what I think that is more interesting here is thinking about the, how tea art exists in this very creative moment of, of the human tea connection, uh, which is something that has been nurtured in China for hundreds if not thousands of years. Now we could literally say thousands of years. Um, so it is interesting for us to, to sort of think about how these different tea masters are kind of not only claiming that this is an art, right? Which very much is the case, uh, but 
as I've encountered in my fieldwork, they're also saying, well, I'm not just going to teach you how to make good tea. I, I want to teach you how to make tea in a way that speaks to the Tao that exists inside of you. Because this is an, this is an assumption that comes from a Confucian reading of the Tao, right? That uh, each person contains a kind of unique way inside of them, right? And that that can be brought forth uh, in artistic practice with uh, enough cultivation. So, so that's why uh, in, in the surface, right? And, and this is something that uh, I encountered often when I'm speaking to people, some, even some of my friends in Brazil that are very bewildered by the fact that uh, I am studying something that on the surface is so simple, uh, which is just drinking tea. Uh, but it has been fascinating to see how um, both Chinese and Taiwanese uh, urbanites have been uh, connecting to it in a way that enables them to sort of engage with, with life in, in this contemporary moment, particularly as both countries now face uh, tremendous uh, amounts of um, economic pressure and pressures of living under neoliberalism um, and how they have sort of engaged with tea as a way to sort of mitigate those issues. And you say urbanites, who, who is participating? This, this is both a, a time expensive process. It's taking up a great deal of time, which is part of the process. Who gets to participate? Is this also an expensive process, monetarily expensive process, and therefore an exclusionary practice? Yes. Uh, there is both a class and a gender element to this, I would say, um, where if you join a TR class, uh, you will mostly have for classmates women who are middle or middle upper class. Uh, so there is definitely an argument that can be made and that has been made uh, for T-Art to be a way of acquiring taste or social capital or cultural capital. So it is, uh, I wouldn't call it an exclusionary practice so much as I would call a practice through which one can differentiate oneself through the the demonstration of cultural training in ways that are signified through gender lines. And do you, th do you think it extends beyond the formal? In other words, has this changed the way in which people who might not have ever participated in a formal tea art event drink their tea at home, in cafes, restaurants, or elsewhere? Yes, uh, I have seen that uh, specifically, uh, both in terms of the rise of what is known in Taiwan as the tea art house, uh, or in, in China is known more as the tea space, um, but also at, in the houses of people who sort of had some kind of contact with it. Uh, they may, it may have been people who took one or two classes, 
Um, and then when they, when they go back home, when they start drinking tea by themselves, um, they start thinking about it more as, um, at the very least, you could say a mindful practice, uh, but in a more complex level, you could say that it's a kind of uh, dialogical practice where uh, people are really kind of having this sort of dialogue with this non-human entity through which they're trying to, you know, experiment with different infusion times or with different amounts, uh, different water temperatures, different tea wares as a way to bring out different flavors to the tea. And that in itself is a kind of attunement process that happens to the sensibility of the person. And that when they speak about it, they also go on a more symbolic scale, speaking about it as a kind of practice through which they can sort of practice a kind of self-cultivation. And does that represent some an anxiety, a, a sense of rapid social change? Yes, uh, certainly... Certainly for China, as I argue uh, in the paper, where uh, now China is kind of entering into this very different moment in a very specific moment in its modernization project, where since the beginning of the reform period in the early 80s, there has been this extreme pragmatism where people have sort of left aside uh, questions of mental well-being or spiritual pursuits uh, for the sake of uh, diving into the sea of the private economy, as they would say. Uh, but with the recent slowdown of the pace of uh, economic growth in China, people have definitely started turning towards uh, technologies of self-making that have given rise to this entire space of the inner self. Uh, now there is a so-called psych uh, psychotherapy boom in China, for example. Um, so this is definitely connected to the ways in which the pressures of modernization in China have bore very heavily on the individual. And I'm coming to find that it's a very similar t issue uh, in Taiwan. For example, Taiwan is one of the places with the, the, the shortest uh, break times in uh, short shortest vacation times uh, in the world and also a place where people are expected to do a lot of overtime. So there's definitely a way in which economic pressure is driving people towards these, these very conting culturally contingent sort of self-making practices. So in other words, inside the tea art is a whole constellation of practices and making sense of social change. Yes, yes. And in this process also, uh, in here's a kind of, of another process where, where you attune your sensibility, your taste, not just your taste, but also your sight, your smell, um, towards becoming very acquainted with different types of tea. Uh, so you start learning, for example, if you want to drink this particular kind of oolong tea, you should use this kind of teaware. If you want to drink pu'ar tea, you should um, utilize. You should have your water temperature at this kind of temperature, and you not only develop your own taste, but you also kind of become aware of how different types of tea require different brewing practices. 
beyond art, beyond taste, Jago Brage finds the world of tea art in contemporary Taiwan and China. Join us for the next several weeks as hosts from the Gastronomica Editorial Collective talk with authors and writers from our current and future issue. Thank you, Tiago, for joining us. And listeners can read his essay in Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies. For more details, for more reading, visit gastronomica.org. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.